creeds and criticism meet. of reference podcast. All right, well, welcome back to the Split Frame of Reference podcast. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Allison. And you guys are all in for a treat today. Uh, we have with us uh, Dr. Jamin Hubner. Uh, Dr. Hubner is the Director of Institutional Effectiveness and Associate Professor at John Witherspoon College in, it was Rapid City, South Dakota? Did I get that right? That's correct. Oh, all right. So welcome welcome on board, Jamin, uh, or Dr. Hubner, whichever you prefer. Yeah, we were going to do Galatians 3.28, but we decided that maybe we should interview Jamin. Yeah. And what better day than this? Uh, the uh, initial issue we have today is kind of, it's, it's a little more broad than uh, than just talking about complementarianism. It's actually talking about the, the future of complementarianism, essentially. Yeah, and especially the perceptions um of egalitarianism by complementarianism. So how do they see us in our movement? Yes. And so we have Jamin here. And uh, Jamin's written a lot on this issue. Uh, he's a bit of a big deal, as they say. And so, Jamin, why don't you uh, introduce yourself further to your audience? What got you involved in, uh, in, your, in, uh, in your reframing of Scripture from an egalitarian standpoint? Well, thank you for having me on. And that's a, a very deep question. It goes back a number of years and involves a lot of different experiences. Uh, I certainly uh, didn't have the initial inclination to to have the views I now have about gender and women in ministry and different things like that. But, you know, the short story is, like so many other stories, um, is that uh, just a, a combination of experience, prayer, um, study, of the New Testament world and, and the scriptures and a lot of other things uh, just, uh, you know, came together to say, I, you know, I have not been reading scripture with the right lens for, uh, at least on this topic, forever, for my whole life. Hmm. So, um, you know, I got into academics and, and started teaching and, um, and, and decided uh, one way or another that I wanted to to write about this, and that kind of began my master's thesis and on women deacons, and then dissertation on on women pastors and in leadership and things like that. And so, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's been a long journey. I you know we don't have time to recount all that here, but um, God has been really faithful, and uh, I'm really um, I'm really enthusiastic about hmm. being a, a Christian. Yeah, uh, because this is. This is something, you know, I'm just finishing up teaching world religions for the first time uh, at, a, at, at the college here. And, you know, that there's a, a lot of religions uh, that I respect and others that I would find very, very difficult to be a part of. And mm. part of that has to do with on this issue. Mm. Uh, and uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's so great that uh, the, the early church and the gospel and and the ministry of Jesus has such direct implications for this, such positive implications for uh, this these issues. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's you know, in, in in thinking about my my life as a whole, there's only a couple issues that I, I feel really passionate about that I feel like they're actually worth time. 
you know, mm-hmm. I, I found myself for several years just bickering with other Christians about fine theological points, and I just said, I, I don't want to live my life this way. <laughs> but when it comes to, um, you know, sexism in the church and prohibiting people uh, from preaching the gospel and doing ministry just because of their biology, uh, I'm not, I'm just not going to tolerate that, and I'm going to continue to speak out against that type of, of discrimination. So. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I have a, a follow-up question I just kind of realized. Um, w- what you sure. bring to this this debate, I, I hate calling it a debate, but... It is. It is. Um, what this discussion, uh, especially in relation, relation to most modern complementarians, is that they tend to come from a, a, more, a more reformed perspective or a Calvinistic perspective. And I, as I recall, last I heard, you do as well. And so I was wondering, how do you see um, uh, reformed theology in relation mm-hmm. to the women oh, in ministry yeah. debate? Because I find that... Most of my Calvinist friends are complementarian more by default than by not all. I don't want to say they all don't do exegesis of the relevant text, but so I'm wondering about what you think about the relationship. Does Reformed theology uh, lead to a certain view, or how does that all work? If you don't mind me asking, that's no, that's an excellent question, and I thought about that a lot, and I think it's uh, sort of ironic uh, that, that 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 experience is there for a number of reasons. Hmm. Uh, the first is that uh, the reformers were willing to challenge the status quo. To say that, even at the risk of their lives, that the church has been misreading scripture on a number of different topics. And we're willing to challenge also the the authority structures Hmm. in place. And uh, especially with with, with Luther's uh, teaching on the priesthood of all believers, Hmm. um, that really kind of started to to erode um, some some of these patriarchal structures and, and, and mentality in the church. Hmm. And, uh, you know, Cal- Calvin too, um, you know, n- neither of them were, you'd, you'd say, you know, egalitarian or anything like that, but, yeah. um, you know, just their boldness and their, uh, just facing and experiencing God through the, the text of scripture and the story. Um, you know, they, I wouldn't describe them as complementarian at all, because as we both know, that <laughs> ideology really hasn't existed until the 1970s. Right, yeah. Uh, which George Paul. Knight, right? <laughs> yep. Basically, yeah, with the whole role uh, distinction thing. And so, um, and then, uh, so actually what I discovered in, in writing my dissertation, because the, the subtitle has the word reformed in it, I don't, I don't know if you knew that, but, and so I, I talk about reformed theology uh, in the, the earlier parts of it, and I, I had no idea how many uh, reform denominations had already uh, uh, decided to, to to encourage women wow. to be pastors and things mm. like that. And so, but you know, you you don't know that because you know the the I don't know the blogosphere, the media, the way it's received, mm. it creates a certain impression. And and so, uh, yeah, I found that to be to be quite interesting. And then, of course. You know, there are uh, great examples of very outspoken, hardcore, you know, Puritan-style Westminster yeah. Confession people who are egalitarian. Like, Yeah, uh, I met some uh, at, at TED's, actually, and really? I was surprised. Oh, really? Yeah, um, I won't name names. I don't want to get anyone in trouble. But, sure. Um, yeah, so I wonder, is it? do you think it's a case of the louder voices um, maybe get more attention than the ones I that are just kind of moderate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is. And, uh, you know, because it's always framed as, you know, this is just the truth and the gospel. And if you, ch- you know, it's, 
everybody likes to, to pair up their opinions and their theological views with the most important aspects of the faith, like to capitalize on that, right? Yeah. So like if, which is terrible because it, it doesn't create critical thinking. It encourages students and, and people to just not be able to distinguish importance yeah. in different issues. And so when we lump it all together and say, well, this is the Christian view, that can be mm. a little bit, you know, deceptive sometimes. So yeah, there's, a. Uh, um, I can't remember. Roger Nicole, I mean, he actually uh, was an original signer of the CBE statement on biblical yeah. equality, and he was professor at RTS, uh, and he passed away in 2010, I think. And Douglas Grotheis and others, you know, who, who would identify in that uh, perspective. But, but you know, and that's, of course, what 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 is reformed mean? That's an entire thing too, and I'm hmm. I'm just starting to write a book on that. Hopefully, oh, cool. uh, huh. hopefully, to be published in 2017, um, when you know, the next few years is the the big anniversary for the Reformation, the 500th anniversary. Yeah. So, mm. from five, from this year, 2017, because that, you know, that's 1517 was the uh, uh, 95 Thesis, I think, yeah. <laughs> uh, until 1521, Died of Worms. Um, there's a bunch of books coming out on that, and so anyway, there's there's a there's a lot of variety there too uh, that that should probably be acknowledged as well, and and that would determine. Great. Wow. Uh, views and gender as well. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that here at Fuller too, like Oliver Crisp and uh, writing books on deviant Calvinism, saving Calvinism, mm -hmm. and kind of being like, yeah, Reformed theology is bigger than tulip and a very specific type of tulip in the Southern Baptist or certain yeah. denominations, which yeah. is really fun just to kind of see. So. Yeah, but back to perceptions. Yes. Um, so uh, we had a specific um, occasion. Um, there was a po there was a I guess it was a podcast that came out. Podcast slash interview vodcast slash thing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. It's, there's a lot of options to download it. So. <laughs> yes. But it kind of gave us the idea to try to address um, this idea of perceptions and how egalitarianism is perceived among complementarians after going here. What was the thing that we watched? Was it on Desiring God? Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, John Piper. I think it was like an Ask Pastor John kind of thing. Yeah, actually it is called Ask Pastor John and uh, someone from the UK, a uh, guy who's going to be a pastor, asks him basically, I mean, a big question, but at its, not, at its heart is, uh, is male headship a lost cause? Yeah. And in that, I'll actually, I'll just read his question real quick uh, okay. to, to John. Um, I'll skip some parts here because he talks about how wonderful John is. Uh, I am a, quote, I am a complementarian, however, from observing local churches in my country, the UK, it's discouraging as it appears more and more of them are submitting to egalitarianism simply out of social norms and expectations of church leadership from a secular point of view. With the legalization of gay marriage rights, this move seems to seems even more harmless now to a lot of churches in the West. With that in mind, what do you view the future of male headship in the home and church? Is it now a lost cause, a losing cause, or do you think it will endure? End quote. Yeah, so basically, um, this whole, um, I guess John Piper's going to give us four points um, for why he thinks it will endure, um, and, but it's in the context or frame of this idea that this outward hostile force, egalitarianism, is encroaching on the people of God. So, you know, we saw already um, egalitarianism is simply coming out of social norms and expectations of church leadership from a secular point of view. Um, later, too, they tie it into homosexuality. Um, and Piper gives a theme of opposition against God's people, the remnant. 
Um, so in other words, the only reason the church is egalitarianism is because of reasons independent of the Bible and as a Christian and independent of a Christian worldview. Or even church history. Yeah. So it's basically this one example is being um, that's very vague and we only know it from the person asking the question is being used as representative of egalitarianism in the church at large. Um, outsiders and insiders. Um, they basically feel like they're being wrongly persecuted for excluding women from leadership in the life of the church, which is interesting. Um, and throughout this article or this little um, transcript, you can read online. And we'll include a link in our, on yeah. our blog. Um, it refers and alludes to themselves as the remnant and martyrs in the to- in the context of a terrible opposition to the people of God. So, you know, just very interesting, very, very stark us versus them context. And what is this terrible opposition? Um, the only concrete thing they give is some churches allowing women to lead. Um, they feel fundamentally threatened by broader participation in leadership, it looks like. I'm resisting jokes right now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, interesting. Um, what are your general thoughts on, well, on that? We'll go through each of the four points yeah, in, in detail, but just broad thoughts on... Uh, it's, a, it's a bizarre transcript, so if any of you want, I would suggest kind of reading this and following along a little bit it's short um if it doesn't make sense that's okay it really doesn't it probably doesn't make sense anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah well uh well first things first um you know i admire uh uh, piper's uh efforts as a as a full-time minister and he's spent a long career doing that and i think he's trying as best as he can uh, uh to do that and you know i've I, I have I, I was never really a huge fan like of his ministry. I wasn't a critic either, but I wasn't like some of the people in my my circles here in the Midwest, where uh, you know he's, he's like the, like the biggest name in Christian ministry, and everybody would try to to imitate him. And in fact, um, uh, I I caught it was I, never never mind the occasion, but I. Um, <laughs> I caught a, a pastor doing sermon plagiarism, oh. uh, which is quite common these days. That, uh, um, that no, that never happens. Advice. That never happens. I've never heard of that. <coughs> Driscoll. <clears throat> anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it was just a chapter out of Pipe, one of Piper's books that mm. I just so happened to have read, and you know, this wasn't cited. But any, anyway, so big influence in, in 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 certain circles, evangelical, especially Midwestern. And I went to his pastor's conference at his church and uh, when I was a youth mm-hmm. pastor and all that stuff. So, um, I think I've read about just, six or seven of his books, too. Viola required me to read Don't oh. Waste Your Life, which I felt like I was doing by reading the book. I thought that was one of the better ones, actually. I still felt like I was wasting more time. Oh, life. whatever. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, <clears throat> so, so some of the fruits of the ministry, I think, have been good, but others have not. And uh, that's evident, I think, on this particular issue. Uh, of of gender and, and a lot of uh, masculine macho feelings that doesn't come out in this particular post, but it certainly does in other writings mm-hmm. that he has, especially his super popular little booklet on on manhood and womanhood, uh, which is uh, a chapter in recovering biblical manhood and womanhood mm-hmm. in the in mm-hmm. the beginning. But anyway, um, yeah, there's all there's all kinds of questions that one has when when looking at this particular. Uh, 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 interview this this the first thing that comes to mind is you know I, I have no idea what egalitarianism quote unquote would look like in the UK 
And I don't know what a, a complementarian pastor would mean when referring to it. Hmm. And I think that's a would be an interesting question because I, I I would know, and I you know for all I know it could mean you know something very extreme or offensive or or whatever. I I have nothing really to compare to. But so that's that's kind of a first thing that I that I think about. Uh, it, another thing, yes, is just sort of the uh, the shock and the and the the, the befuddlement of of bringing up martyrdom. Yeah, that very bizarre. <laughs> As a subject, you know what I mean. Uh, that that just uh, um, I, I don't understand that. In in in, in uh, as you mentioned, like a persecution complex or something like that, uh, which unfortunately is, I guess, a, a very popular phenomenon where, you know, if somebody criticizes me or someone's a critic of my views, then I'm being persecuted or something like yeah, that. Yeah, are we persecuting Piper and complementarians right now by publicly disagreeing with them? I, I'm sure there's a lot of things that could be said <laughs> about it, um, <laughs> in, 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 about this interview and stuff, but, yeah. so, I don't know, yeah, that's, that's something that comes to mind, too, and, um, I think overall, the quality of the responses answers the question. Mm. Most definitely, yes, uh, headship in the context of complementarianism is a lost cause. Um, and the way in which it's answered, the framework in which it's answered, shows that this is you know, an ideology that just uh, is, is ready to go. And, and thank goodness it's its nuances haven't even been around for a century yet. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, so anyway, that's, those are some initial thoughts that I have about that. Okay. So let's look at some of his points for why Piper believes complementarianism will endure. Um, and it's kind of bizarre. These first three reasons are said to not be Piper's reasons. But he's going to tell us anyway for some reason. So we have to pad out the length. I mean, if you're doing podcasts. So. Yes. So we will and will not address them. No, we will address them. Okay. So number one, um, I summarized it as it's true to God's word. So complementarianism will endure because it's true to God's word. He cites Ephesians five twenty-two through twenty-five. Um, this idea that the wife takes um, her cues on submission in relation to Christ, and the husband takes his cues. Um, on love from Christ as the head. Um, and this is said to be in harmony with our true created nature and integral to salvation. I'm not sure why it's integral to salvation, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this first point. Well, it's it's a a, a prime example of, of general regurgitation of ideas that <laughs> have been around for, you know, a while and, and published and... Um, I don't need to just go through each text that's been done a thousand times, uh, Ephesians 5. And we have Genesis a podcast and, on it, too, if anyone's interested. Sure, yeah, that, that's that's all been addressed quite thoroughly, and I doubt I can do a better job than others have. But uh, um, something I thought was interesting just in this, this, this cues, you know, take their cues from this person and that person, uh, is that of course this this all assumes a marital context, and I'm thinking of single women, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even single men. You know, what is their place? Are they lost without cues? Um, I would say no. Of course, they're not lost. Um, God is with them. They have Christian community. You know, why why would we even have to say that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so so it's just it it already assumes a kind of uh, primal role 
in certain relationships. And uh, I don't know if I go as far as to say that it's being assumed that being married is is better than being single, but I think there's there's something like that underneath. Um, at least it's an extremely limited uh, way of of addressing the subject matter because there are so many single women today, yeah. and uh, so that this this type of stuff just isn't going to speak to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and it might even leave them feeling a bit isolated um, and, uh, you know, wandering around the streets looking for a, a male authority figure that they have to, you know, you know <laughs> that they need to connect with God or something Women like in search of a kitchen and bare feet. Yes, that's right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> or something, what, yeah. What I, what I found was interesting, too, was he throws around, in addition to what you're saying, uh, he throws on these kind of evangelical buzzwords of deep, historical, biblical, beautiful, satisfying, and in harmony with our true nature. Mm. And I'm kind of sitting there at, based on what you said, that the idea of true nature and relations, like the idea of Jesus being single his entire life, uh, Paul being single, most likely. And it's like, are these, I don't know, men who wrote, are, is the subject of the entire New Testament, the second person in the Trinity, is he somehow not in harmony with his true nature by not being married or, mm. or these sorts of ideas? And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't see this. He's married to the church. Well, yeah, I suppose so, but (laughs) but Paul wasn't. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what do you make... I'm curious about your thoughts. Um, Do you... Why do you think he connects this to salvation? So, yeah. Uh, um, Which which part exactly? The... uh... I have the article in front of me. Yeah, he you says mean, it's integral to our salvation. It's right before cha- uh, section two, so uh, so it is. Oh, okay. Both I don't great. recall okay. an explanation oh, on this, but so if this is about salvation, right. I'd expect much more on that because that's kind of the. Whole... Uh, that's a good question. I never actually caught that, and I yeah. I'm not sure what to say. Um, and I think yeah, it goes along I, I with the whole know. remnant idea and opposition to the people of God. It's all there implicitly as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. That's a whole nother layer of uh, of of complicating matters, you know, when you start. I, I again, I think it's sort of like what I mentioned before. It's like, well, okay, salvation is like the biggest thing that's important in Christianity. So we want to make our argument strong, so let's just associate whatever mm-hmm. we're talking about with salvation. There. You know, now we have like some some extra weight to it or something like that. That's that's all I can see here, yeah. at least on the surface of it, that, that's, that's, that's being done. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's something more complex that, that I'm unaware of. Yeah, I, I think you're right. This is, all that's here is just an association. Um, if Piper has more complex views on why um, wife the wife and the husband submit, uh, <laughs> only the wife submitting to the husband is tied to salvation, um, I, I would love to hear in what sense he thinks this is the case. I'm sure he has a more nuanced sense because I don't think he would hold to um, if a wife does not, if a person doesn't become a wife and submit to her husband the way he wants to, or they're AKA not a complementarian that they're not saved. I doubt he would say that. Yeah. Or maybe a barely saved idea. Maybe, you know, that, that, that verse on uh, childbearing and being saved and, and was it's uh proximity to, Two thirteen, fifteen, two fifteen uh, is or fifteen. Yeah, is 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 behind. Um, is, is 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 like subconsciously lingering, you know, behind his uh, 
his mind or something. But in that, that wouldn't make any sense either because that's, that's talking about childbearing and not being married. But I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, I, I wonder if it's kind of an attempt to align with the, the slippery slope idea of if you get this wrong, then Grace is, you know, although, although after reading John Barclay, I don't, I bristle at the idea of just saying Grace without qualification but <laughs> but you know creation self i mean creation and salvation that's kind of the big thing in a, a lot of uh, soteriological views uh and just this kind of throwing it out there i'm like is this implicitly saying that those who don't hold to this view are not saved or, or at least yeah. have a, a minimal yeah, I mean, if, standard and if that's the that's the case my goodness i don't think he does I, I, no I, I don't think so but, but especially then, later know, yeah uh you know jesus words come to mind and saying how there won't be marriage um hmm. given into marriage or marriage in in the final state in the eschaton and so that seems to kind of go against possibly the idea here I, if if that's what's being talked about i don't know that's a good point for this next um this number two reason these aren't really exactly well-developed reasons. They're not arguments. They're just kind of... Yeah, so next one, um, it's he sees this as an inherently... T- this um, next reason is inherently tied to women submitting to men. And it's the embeddedness of how they understand what it means to be male and female, a.k.a. gender hierarchy, in creation and redemption, into how the churches flourish. And so he cites 1 Timothy 2, or 2.12. ESV style. Yeah, with you know only male leaders um, and this being rooted in creation. Well, as uh, as Nick said, number one, bad translation. Um, <laughs> you know, number two, um, it, excellent example of the type of proof proof texting that I would encourage you know my students to never do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially, especially to the extent that it, you know he says it quotes First Timothy two twelve. That's Paul's way of ordering the church. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean. Uh, Poor Paul. I, I, I could have <laughs> swore that he said a lot more than this, and and that um, you know probably in, in letters that he he more directly dictated. It's probably the case that the pastoral epistles were written by an amanuensis or a secretary that he authorized. That's yeah. that's the best theory I'm aware of. And so um, you know, just to use this text, to use this bad translation, to to con- make this conclusion is just so problematic. Well, Paul's most extensive talking about spiritual gifts, you know, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, ugh, all my professors are British, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, where it talks about the gifts and the calling and all this sort of language and how that actually works within the community and how that all is coming from an epistle about marriage and, and prophecy and all this sort of stuff. You'd think the entirety of 1 Corinthians would be, that's that's Paul's way of ordering the church, but mm. note this one really poor translation proof text, uh, which doesn't have anything in relation to in creation or redemption, as he talks about, I failed to see how not permitting women to teach or to exercise authority over men is about creation and redemption. You know, it's just kind of like, I don't, this, this feels like he's, he may just be speaking off the top of his head, which, you know, fair enough. We all, he's thinking specifically of how Paul, um, understand, brings in the Adam and Eve narrative into that Part of the text and he probably sees that gar as um because or for rather than an, for example or something else that's that's my guess uh, still he has to read a lot into it i think um in terms to get in in order to get his view but mm-hmm. so so then he he goes on and says you know 
that Paul's not arguing from culture. Yeah, I was um, just going to ask you it, about that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and that that was, you know, he's he's addressing this issue from the original pastor who asked the question. You know, um, the, the original question was, you know, I'm seeing all these people capitulate to egalitarianism because of, of, of culture. And yeah. this is kind of the drumbeat is that they're being driven by the wind and uh, a trendiness. And this is what's, what's a, a fad and, um, and, and Christians are just going along with it. And this is a problem. Um, it, it never occurs, um, uh, r- really, I guess to, to either that, you know, whatever this egalitarianism is or is referring to in this particular social context, uh, it never occurs to them that this may be the result of something else. Like <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why people believe the things they do, why they do the things that they do to simply assume or to make this broad brushed explanation and to point to a single cause and say, yes, it's just this, you know, people are just getting influenced by culture. Um, well, of course, what's this, this addresses a theological issue as well. Is because you know does does God use culture to speak and reveal things? And I, I would say yes, and that's mm-hmm. why a lot of great theologians have, have, have spoken of culture as a source of theology, along with tradition, scripture, and so forth. So um, that that fundamental issue there is is kind of carried out because it's not even viewed as a possibility that maybe. <laughs> This is happening because, uh, well, maybe the Spirit of God is working through churches, people, academics, ministry, um, and that that's why people are abandoning uh, sexism, patriarchy, and androcentrism. You know, it's, 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 it's not even a possibility, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, it couldn't that, be that a movement that came out of the 19th century um, Finney Revival or anything like that? <laughs> well, Definitely not. Well, Definitely not by Christian women. And men. <laughs> yeah, what, what I find interesting too is building on that. Paul argues from creation, uh, does not argue from culture. It's like if you read just throughout, read all of Ephesians and all of First Timothy. I mean, hairstyles, uh, not being drunk, uh, not doing all these sorts of things. Paul is talking about culture. He's talking about how women learn in verse eleven. How this is the manner in which you learn, so that you can presumably teach later. And so this idea of expose. Expo- uh, kicking culture out. I mean, scripture is so tied to culture that you don't have scripture. If you just start cutting out all the, you know, if you just want to remove culture, you just have to start cutting stuff out of the Bible. Yeah. Well, well, and, and I think the bigger problem here is, um, you know, I don't think he realizes that when this argument is made and it was, it was made chiefly, uh, it was pushed to its full extent, uh, in a, uh, a dissertation, written by William Reuch, or I'm not sure how that name is pronounced, which was under Thomas Schreiner at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Mm. Uh, he pushes this uh, uh, in his in his uh, his book as, as far as it can go. Like, like the, this is the thing. This is where we hang our uh, theology of gender on, is that Paul makes an argument from creation, you know, as opposed to culture of the things. Well, what's not mentioned here is, well, I, I'd, be, I'd be curious to know, well, so in this model, where does Paul argue from culture and, and, and not creation and not from the order of God? Um, where, where is this? And I don't think we're going to hear any responses, because Paul always argues from the order of God, from the, the principles that are revealed in the Old Testament, 
and from all of these things. So, so, so the argument itself sort of is, is framed in the wrong way, and this is actually pointed out really well in Cindy Westfall's uh, new book, Paul and Gender, mm. uh, which I reviewed for a journal, and and uh, just just really decisively uh, uh, addresses this issue uh, briefly, but in a very concise way, and says, you know, that the you know the assumptions here aren't aren't even right. What does it mean to argue from creation or from God's order? What do we what do we even mean here? Just because a person mentions or quotes an Old Testament text here and doesn't elsewhere doesn't mean that like Paul isn't arguing from the Old Testament or a creation principle elsewhere. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like e- even things like like braided hair. We would argue. Um, you know, from some kind of order that we're meant to be, uh, you know, you know, people that are, are in, in good, healthy relationships with one another, that we don't flaunt ourselves, that we're not arrogant. This is the way God created us to be. So you can argue for, 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 for particular contextual norms today uh, and, and it really at any period based on this so-called creation order. So that that whole argument just really falls apart when we when we think about it. So I think that's a problem too. But then, you know, the next uh, the next two sentences in that, that Piper says are interesting. This complementarian vision for the church is seamlessly part of the fabric mm. of complementarians of the home, and again, single fabric that binds the two together. And so I would I would stay with the analogies to stay with the the picture there. What if what he's talking about here is a, is a stain on the fabric, you know, and uh, people have been washing it out, and it's called patriarchy and 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 chauvinism and and sexism, and this is a stain on fabric, and perhaps complementarians have looked at this fabric, this tapestry, and they see the remnants of the stain, and they're attributing it to the original design, mm. you know what I mean? So it's just, mm. um, I I think. Uh, you know, being sensitive to the metaphors here, you know, it can actually help us understand, you know, from an alternative perspective, uh, what's possibly going on. Yeah. And I kind of, something I pick up too with this, a lot of these responses is it just kind of distorted understanding of their opponents. Um, I think at, at a fundamental level. Um, so again, the, you know, those people are influenced by culture and secular trends. Well, you know, maybe a good place to start would be what do your opponents actually claim? I mean, are they um, giving lots of um, reasoning that's more secular in thought and antithetical to uh, Christianity and the Bible? Or are they actually appealing to the Bible? And, you know, they may be wrong. Like, we may be wrong. Yeah. But I just, overall, I mean, I have CBE's um, statements up here and... Um, it's titled Men, Women, and Biblical Equality. Um, it's at cbeinternational.org. And it says, The Bible teaches the full equality of men and women in creation and redemption. Genesis 1, 26, 28, 2, 2, 23, 5, 1-2, 1 Corinthians 11, 11-12, Galatians 3, 13, 28, 5-1. Like, and it goes on and on and on. The Bible teaches, the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches. So, I mean, I would get the sneaking suspicion that Christians for Biblical Equality, which is a huge network relationship of churches and um, scholars and um, just lay people like Nick and I, um, I would get a sneaking suspicion that maybe they think the scriptures teach 
egalitarianism. Um, just to me, and even um, Willow Creek, um, we believe a church should operate as a unified community of servants with men and women stewarding their gifts. This includes the concept of unity, servanthood, spiritual gifts, and mystery callings. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, Psalms 133, 1. So, you know, I mean, come on, like you've got a bunch of biblical themes and passages. Um, the rationale seems to be very biblically rooted, um, even if he'd like to disagree with the way they um, interpret scripture, it seems a little distorted to think your opponents are coming from a completely different place than they are. Well, if you want to ask John Piper too, are women created in the image of God? Are women equal to men? He would say yes and then qualify it. But the fact that he would affirm these things means he is outside of the culture, surrounding culture, that has pervaded Christian history for a very long time. And he himself has shifted, I'm mm -hmm. sure. So, I mean, he's changed that's, his mind on racism, that, I'm sure, too. I think right, he even mentioned Right. That's, that's an excellent point, is that um, it's, it's silly to think that, uh, um, that his theology or my theology or your theology mm -hmm. hasn't been influenced by culture. Yeah, you know, as as if we're just this this independent um, mind Modern. that just is, you know, <laughs> digests Modernism, yeah. unmediated knowledge, you know, from God, and uh, that you know doesn't come through language and, and and social structures and everything like that. And and a great example is complementarianism, <laughs> which you know, which is greatest irony. But um, yeah, I think what you said, Allison, is is pertinent, and I, I think you're being just too generous uh, because you're, you know, you're assuming that, well, the, the people in this interview and the people listening, you know, they want to make a really healthy, fair, balanced effort at understanding the views they're critiquing. Mm. I, I don't think they need to, and I don't see any indication that they, that, that, that they're trying to, you know what sure. I mean? Um, and that's why it's just, you know, it's why more and more people are complementarian continue to come over to an egalitarian perspective is because they just aren't familiar with with really uh, the vision and what's being said. And yeah, so that's they true. Can't, they can't speak to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, actually, I found whenever I engage with people, the, the greatest thing, the biggest thing that I'm doing is actually just telling them what I believe. Um, and usually they've never even heard a proper egalitarian response to anything. And sometimes they think they have because they've read Grudem or Piper or others who I think distort their opponents quite a bit. And so they're not prepared at all. Like they have no clue of some of the basic responses. Yeah. So it's almost like we want to encourage this ignorance because it, it works in <laughs> our favor. You know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, um, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons I, I sort of came over is that proverb, the first to plead a case seems right until another comes and examines. Mm. And I realize I'm not doing this. Yeah. And so I shouldn't be out there publicly criticizing views that I really don't quite understand. Yeah. I haven't given a fair hearing, even though I'm convinced that they're wrong from the beginning. And so I started reading. All. Yeah. Yeah. So I started reading the other side and, and, um, uh, it, it just struck me like, Oh my goodness, this makes sense. Like this isn't the, uh, the nonsense that I was, I was told it was. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty important point I think to highlight. Okay. So let's go into the next one. Um, Piper gives another reason he didn't want to give, but is giving anyway, or he really wants to give it, but just is building to his last point, which I think is what he's doing. So 
He says, God is good and God is sovereign. So this is why complementarianism will endure. God is good and God is sovereign. Um, the idea is that because God loves complementarity, um, hierarchically defined, um, it will endure. I, you want yeah, to try? <laughs> I, I, I was as shocked as, as you in reading that. Yeah, it's like, this can't be, no, this is not a reason. <laughs> you know what, maybe these are more mantras than, like, I'm going to give you... And you know what, it's not really the reason he wanted to give. That's yet to come, so we shouldn't judge him too harshly. Yeah, well, let's get to the Olivet Discourse. I'm just dying to get there <laughs> and to see what, what the Olivet Discourse has to do with the enduring value of complementarianism. Okay, so let's just get, yeah, I mean, I think the third is self-explanatory. So fourth reason, the real reason um, complementarianism will endure is it is not a passing fancy. It, and it just won't go away, no matter how great an opposition to Christianity. And basically, complementarians won't give up. So I think that is his big... Um, I, I think he tries to have his cake and eat it too, too, by qualifying that non-complementarians can be martyrs, too. But he really is saying it by making his whole talk on complementarians being the righteous remnant, standing up for the faith and being willing to die... And supposedly egalitarianism is part of this hostile force persecuting them. So, um, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if that isn't demonizing your opponent, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, when you bring in, you know, the end of the world, which a lot of this text isn't even addressing in the first place, but yeah. we'll, you know, pretend all it is, uh, you know, and that, and that <laughs> there's this, this, this epic uh, struggle to maintain... Um, you know, unity in the faith, and of course, you're probably we're pulling up images of previous martyrs and and persecutions mm -hmm. in the 200s A.D. maybe, or or some other period of of, of, of serious um, martyrdom and um, and revelation. <laughs> yeah, this is the end time. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, let's let's go there and and that that this is the reason why um, we can be confident. That a theory of gender that never existed prior to the 1970s is going to endure to the end of the world. Uh, I, I have I have never heard in, in a very long time a theological argument as absurd as this. I when I heard it, I, I nearly dropped my phone because <laughs> I couldn't believe. I, I, did, I just felt sorry for for for. for for Dr. Piper, because you know he's going into retirement, he's wanting to to share his wisdom and to say something like this that. Uh, just boggles one's mind, you know, how in, in, in going so far from the context of this chapter to, to vindicating a theory of gender. I mean, it doesn't even matter what the theory of gender is. The very, the very stretch <laughs> that the lines that are drawn are just, it, it, there's so many leaps. It's just like, I, I, where I, do you I begin? Just, yeah. Well, no, no. I, yeah, I think well, even I think the theological interpretation, even the most creative interpreters <laughs> I, I, I've read, I, you know, I, I, I don't know where to place any of this, you know, except that I'm, I'm just hoping that you know he just didn't get sleep the, the previous night or, or something because it, it is it is a serious embarrassment um, to make this this poor of argument, especially in the context of pastoral counsel. You know well, what I mean? Like, well, like to be fair, is, it's more of an assertion than an argument. Well, I, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the premises aren't really clear, then the entailment isn't really there, uh, that's for sure. 
but um, it's See, I don't know. I, I think I think what we can say way. is I can say I can't. I can think of maybe one person that maybe wanted to deliver John Piper up to tribulation and put him to death. But I mean, that's Ooh. that's an egg on Twitter. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, and that you know all the na- all that nation's AI that one person will hate his name and betray and hate. And it's like, I, who are the people that want to There's kill this you? One person. I defy you, Piper. Yeah, the the egg, the nameless egg on Twitter. You know, it's like. <laughs> Who, who, what egalitarian wants to actually cause you bodily, spiritual, emotional, what have you harm? Like this sort of like, woe is me. They're heaping coals on my head kind of like mentality. It's like, I did, I did, I'm not putting sackcloth and ashes on you, dude. You can take it off. Like, I, I will rot. say this too. Um, when I was visiting Christians for Biblical Equality in Minnesota, um, they, they have prayer time. They pray for like maybe an hour and a half every day. And uh, when I was there, at least they, they prayed for Grudem. They prayed for Piper. Um, uh, they're just, they're really, they're not really the center <laughs> excess of evil. Like they're, so they're really not nice. like, they're not like Antifa, you know, trying to, you know, <laughs> no. put him to death and stir up trouble. Very, like very nice people. But gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think you're right, Jamin. Uh, I think his, I, I think he's. This is basically a way he can smear other Christians. I think it's galvanizing too. Yeah, basically of other Christians. It's galvanizing, absolutely. Yeah, other Christians want want women leading alongside men um, for biblical reasons, and he doesn't really have to answer for it. I think is just what's happening here. Right, and you know, it's when when, when you're at that point in a career, you have uh, mm-hmm. such a following. You have people who will plagiarize your sermons and take those oh, kinds yeah. of risks. And I'm not, and I'm, say, I'm not saying that's characteristic of all of, no. of, no. of people in this community. I don't want to say that at all, but um, yeah, there, there's, there's just a power that, that, that certain figures have and, and Piper has that. And so there's just, there's absolutely no need uh, to, you know, to understand um, the views that are being contrasted with, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, and, and, you know, I guess he's probably just you know, speaking to the soul of this of this guy who is discouraged, and he just wants to encourage them. So it yeah. is it isn't in the context of a theological argument necessarily. It's yeah. more of the context of encouragement. So I can understand that too. Yeah, um, I think that's the best way to characterize this whole these points. They're not they're not actually arguments as much as they're words of encouragement for people who hold to complementarianism. Right, it, but, but it, you know, in a way, that's what makes it so painful. Yeah, you know, to witness is that is that this is the type of encouragement, like, like to to go mm. as far as creating those that us them mentality, yeah. the persecution complex, the, the the bringing up martyrdom and 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 using that, it just cheapens martyrdom. I mean, it really True. does. Yeah. I yeah. mean, think about the people who have actually hung on crosses in the yeah. Roman se- Empire. And people just, getting killed right now, like as we speak. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. It, that's exactly right. The people who got, you know, gunned down in churches in Egypt and and mm. in so many other countries, Saudi Arabia, and, and, and all of this. That, um, yeah, we we we've just watered down the meaning of persecution by this type of, um, I, I I don't know. I don't want to say. I don't know if elitism is the right word, but I think they had um, some a certain amount of influence and power, and it's lessening, and they they feel it. In their sphere, they don't, and I think that's why no one's going to really. In their sphere, is probably going to, well, like I don't expect Wayne Grudem to call up Piper and be like, you know what, we really shouldn't talk about egalitarians like they want to put us to death. I don't. Th- I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's not a slap against Grudem. That's. I don't think that sphere is going to be like, oh, okay, John, pump the brakes. 
don't quote from the Olivet Discourse, you know, just no. say they're wrong and we can move on. You know, I don't think, you know. I think, yeah. though, that they're cognizant that they are losing influence that they had before. And it's oh, starting to come. They still have this... a lot more, but it's it's breaking down. Yeah, well, for sure. And, um, uh, and, and, and like I said, I mean, if, if this if this is it, if, if this is the best, you know, thoughtful responses, you know, a, a, a world class pastor can give for holding on to sexism in the church in the 21st century. I think the future is actually quite bright. Um, you <laughs> yeah. know, so I think have you read um, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood? Multiple times. Yeah, actually, I have to. Yeah, I think that's probably the best they have right now, and it's extremely outdated. Um, well, it's all outdated, and yeah. um, and uh, but you know, of course, what's yeah. interesting is is some things. Uh, of course, this doesn't have to do with gender necessarily, but Grudem's views on the Trinity and so forth. He's going to revise the systematic theology. At oh, least he boy. said that um, at, at ETS when I, I asked him a question on that at a at a symposium, but. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, that was, I mean, that, that shocked everybody. Like, you mean it's not yeah, inerrant? Well, like, oh my gosh. Well, yeah, because so many people equivocated what the Bible says with Grudem's systematic theology, oh right? My. So to change one is to change the other. And so it just blew people's minds. And, um, but yeah, there it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the, 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 the standard works on the subject are quite outdated and I, I'm very curious to see responses to uh, Westfall's book because mm. it's the most recent in New Testament scholarship on the subject, and I I I don't know how they're going to simply dismiss it like they did um, Payne's work yeah. um, uh, because you know Cindy is has provided a, a much more nuanced discourse analysis approach. Well, they and, just kind of do simply dismiss everything. I mean. Payne's work was very exegetically detailed. Um, Cynthia's work has a lot more nuances in terms of theology um, alongside exegesis, which I love. Um, I, I think they'll just, if they have to, I think they'll just dismiss, be dismissive of her just as they were dismissive of Payne. Or if they do respond, you'll you'll just see what uh, Tom Schreiner did to Payne. And uh, I think it was, I, I forget which article was, but basically there's nothing new under the sun and it's true for this book. And basically didn't refute anything Payne really oh my said. Goodness. Yeah. And I, just, I, and I read that and, and actually the words, <laughs> if I recall, were uh, just an, Payne's work is just like another uh, rainy day uh, in the Northwest or something. Yeah, he didn't, he did not borrow Vatican equipment by any means to uncover new evidence for first corinthians 14 being he didn't tell us that authenteo yeah. actually doesn't mean exercise positive authority in the church oops good nope never happened nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so oh i i think piper's points can probably be best summarized as complementarianism will not go away because we think we are right and equate our interpretation with god's will i i think that's essentially what they're doing yeah, and if and if we read it carefully and sensitively, uh, and, and and respectfully, um, I mean, it really it really sort of approaches an ideology that um, that, that can be loaded, located in, in Plato's world of the forms. Mm. I mean, basically, you know, it's a uh, it's it's a it's an eternal paradigm, and uh, you know, all the all the assumptions there that we understand it, um, we've mastered it. Now we just have to enforce it, right? And 
Uh, that's why the policy issues at local churches become so important because yeah. it's the enforcement that, um, you know, is, is the kind of where the rubber meets the road. So. Yeah. I, I have a friend who, uh, he's PCA, but he became an egalitarian and the PCA basically said, no, nope, we're not going to ordain you. And I think he, I think he was in favor of women deacons. He was still thinking about women pastors and elders. Really? Yes. And he was, he came out and said, I'm absolutely in favor of women deacons at a PCA. I don't know. I don't know what the, 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 the nominational setup is, like a synod or something. And they basically said... Uh, General Assembly. Yes. General Assembly. And they basically said, uh, there are other denominations for that. You can go to them. Wow. Well, that's, that's quite interesting because yeah. I wrote my thesis under a PCA ordained minister yeah. and uh, you know at RTS, which is kind of the PCA, other than Covenant Seminary, kind of the, the, that institution. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't well received by some people, but for... But for others, it was. And that, that's always been divisive in the PCA. And I've, I've attended yeah. PCA churches for over six, seven years. And uh, but yeah, and that's not the first time I've heard that. But uh, it it I, I, what I was surprised is that they just flat out said no to the to the uh, ordination issue, because um, I, I don't know, I guess that just I find that interesting because some sometimes the General Assembly or, or the local uh, whatever it is, Presbytery can be generous on the exceptions to the mm. Westminster Confession, because hmm. um, I, I know I know a lot of ministers, and we've talked about the different exceptions they've had, and yeah. so I guess I didn't know that was a line for ordination. And but uh, anyway, yeah, yeah. Okay. maybe just at that church. I mean, I mean sometimes it, it, yeah, it could just be the fear of you know being becoming the PCUSA, and mm. I think that's I mean that was the big issue, as I recall, in the seventies that they were that they fought over. And it was, I think it was the ordination of women. Hmm. So that's what yeah. I heard, but I'm not a Presbyterian scholar by any means. I'm a Wesleyan. We don't talk much. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess you were uh, predestined not to talk. about. Well, my, my heart is strangely warmed by that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> this could go on forever. All right. I'll stop. Uh, thank you, Jamin, for coming on. This has been an absolute blast. Uh, uh, we'll include, uh, uh, links in the description where people can find you. Uh, if anyone is in South Dakota or the surrounding areas and they want to come learn under an astute and reformed, awesome theologian, uh, how can they get in contact with you? Well, I guess, you know, academia.edu and LinkedIn are kind of the two networking sites that I uh, participate in. I don't do Twitter or Facebook. And, um, but you do uh, podcast now. Uh, what you mean, given this program? Yeah, no, he, he's been on other podcasts, so we're we're getting oh, to. Oh it. yeah, well, and, we're, and we're in fact, him. I was I was the first person to be on a different podcast several weeks ago. So this is a second first for Ooh. me. So that's great. The we're slippery stealing, slope is real. The slippery him. slope is real. <laughs> you'll be a nameless, stealing his soul. You'll be a nameless egg on Twitter in no time. <laughs> <laughs> great, and it'll give you great meaning and purpose. Well, thanks, Jamin. This has been a delight. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. God bless. Thank you.